The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to say a certain word in a moment, and my, my hunch is some of you might have some feelings when I say this word, or just be forewarned. Evangelical. Am I right? Heart rate maybe a little bit faster for some of you. I mean, some adrenaline rushing. Some Snickers, definitely. Uh, in the year of our Lord, 2022, in North America, in Wheaton, Illinois, of all places, that's a rather complex word. It's a word that has a deep and rich history, both in scripture and in the Christian tradition, and, and I, think, I think, lamentably, has come to mean a whole lot more and a whole lot less than it once did. Is that word worth preserving? I don't know. Semantic battles are, are fraught affairs, and they're only ever won over the course of much time. But regardless of what ideas or images are produced in your mind when that term enters your ear, I want to talk this morning about the root of that term, the gospel. When you do an etymological study of the word evangelical, you can see it comes from a Greek compound word, euangelion, which joins the adjective good with the noun news to mean simply good news. And when that word in Greek made its way through the ages and smashed up with Latin and Old English, we end up with the term gospel. And that's how we translate that word into English in most of our translations of the Bible today. So you can tuck away whatever associations you want to make with that term evangelical, and let's take the form the Old English has given us in the gospel, the good news. But I suppose if we're going to talk about good news, then we're going to have to also talk about some bad news. You can't have good news without bad news, otherwise it's just news. So Paul in his letter to Timothy here is talking both about bad news and good news. In fact, Paul describes the bad news for his own situation in, in verse 13 of our reading. Here's, here's Paul's bad news in his own words. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. I acted ignorantly in unbelief. I think in a sense that we can understand this sentence here, Paul's bad news is kind of a, a heading with three subpoints. Paul was ignorant. He was ignorant and he didn't believe the truth. And this resulted in blasphemy, in persecution, and in violence. This is bad news. Think about what blasphemy means. This is saying something false about God, but usually with a great deal more intensity than just uttering a falsehood. This is, uh, this is a determined propagation of false statements or false ideas about God. And prior to his conversion, Paul actively spoke against Christians, saying that they were in the wrong, that they were propagating false ideas about God. Paul was lost in his ignorance, something he only realized once Christ appeared to him. Or think of those persecutions uh, with, with Paul, that then at the time named Saul, being an eyewitness to the execution of Christians. As he put it, he acted ignorantly in his unbelief, thinking that he was honoring God. He was, in fact, persecuting Christians, and he was working directly against the God he thought he was serving. Or finally, he calls himself a man of violence. And not only does that reveal an ignorance of the truth about God made manifest in Christ, but violence against others reveals an ignorance of the inherent value and worth of other humans. So Paul, for Paul, this ignorant unbelief of the truth led him to label himself the foremost of sinners. 
For sin is, is failing to live in accordance with the truth, failing to live in accordance with the reality of the world as ordered by God. It's falling short of living in harmony with the world that God has made. And this for Paul is bad news. It, it, and it's, it's bad news like the bad news the people of Israel described, uh, described about them in the Old Testament lesson. Here we have these people who have been liberated from slavery, uh, from Egypt. They were, they were saved from an attacking Egyptian army, brought to the base of Mount Sinai where they were going to meet with their liberating God. God calls Moses, their leader, up to the mountain to, to speak with him and, and to give Moses instructions for how the people are, are going to live and how they're going to worship now that they're no longer in captivity. But, as we heard, Moses was kind of up there a long time. And the people, in their ignorance and in their unbelief, tell Aaron, Come, make some gods for us, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And then Aaron went and made a god for them, a god in the form of a statue of, a statue of a calf made out of gold, a literal idol to worship. If Paul had been lamenting and complaining about his own blasphemy, here is an idolatrous blasphemy, seemingly at least as bad. One time I was doing some like lesson prep for a, a discussion on the kind of Sinai narrative here, and, and like a good teacher, I was looking at Google Images for you know, pictures for my slides, and, and I came across a coloring page that was for like some you know, kid's Sunday school lesson, a coloring page of the golden calf. Which uh, makes sense on one hand, but on the other hand, this is like the most idolatrous image of like the whole Bible, and like we want our kids coloring this? I, I'm not quite sure. I checked with Jennifer, we don't have any coloring pages of the golden calf in our children's education curriculum. But making an idol to worship a, a different God than one that literally just saved you from years of slavery, that's, that's bad news. It's bad news that Paul blasphemed God, persecuted Christians, and committed violence against others. It's bad news that the people of Israel created a golden calf to worship instead of the true God who had saved them. And you know what else is bad news? Being lost, like literally lost, like our gospel reading describes. Like lost like one sheep, that hundredth sheep from Jesus' parable in Luke 15. Now, being lost like that sheep doesn't quite have the heavy moral overtones like blasphemy or persecution does, but it's still bad news. Maybe we don't get lost anymore because we've got GPS uh, at, at our beck and call, but if you ever remember back in the day being lost driving around your car, or if you ever wandered around a building looking for that office or classroom, or if you recall that terrible feeling when you were a kid and you were at the store and suddenly you know, your mom or dad was out of sight, that's, that's bad news. But just like we can't have good news without bad news, we can't have bad news without good news. Paul, in this passage here, describes a situation where he is actually filled with gratitude because he didn't stay in the bad news. Rather, he says, in the grace of God, I received mercy. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. The good news is that the bad news isn't permanent. It isn't the way things are supposed to be. It's not the way things are always going to be. The good news is that there's hope that the news will get better. And in fact, for Paul in his writing here, the news got better. It was better. The good news, as Paul puts it at the outset of this passage, is that God has appointed him to his service. Rather than rebelling against God and fighting against God, God appointed Paul to serve him. I think this is a bit like what we prayed in our collect a few minutes ago. Part of the good news of Christ saving sinners 
is that God is willing and able, if we would invite him, to direct and rule our hearts for his service. Now, it's kind of an ironic thing about the good news, I think. We might think that directing and ruling our own hearts would be good news, but that's not. That's actually part of the bad news here. It was bad news for the Israelites at Sinai when they went off and, and did their own thing by forging the golden calf. I think it'd be bad news that that sheep snuck off away from the shepherd and the other 99 to do its own thing. But the good news is that Christ saves us to appoint us to his service. The good news is that, like our mural depicts there, Christ the good shepherd seeks out the lost sheep, seeks us out, throws us over his shoulders and brings us back into the fold in order that we might live in harmony with him and, and serve him. The good news is that in the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, our hearts can be so aligned, so, uh, so in harmony with God's direction and rule that following God will be a, a joy, a joy, a delight, uh, something we're eager to do, not something we're resistant to. Paul writes a few verses earlier from what we read this morning. He says, the law is laid down not for the innocent, but for the lawless and disobedient. I think we can understand law here to be something like the direction and rule of our hearts by God, as we prayed for in the collect. As one church father puts it, the purpose of the law is to prohibit all iniquity and to set a minimum standard for those who need it. But those of us who have been justified and freed from sin, it's superfluous. The sort of thing, I don't know if you recall, um, like riding a bike with training wheels or kind of transitioning there. I have some vague recollection of that for myself, but I remember helping my kids transition off of training wheels and their bikes. And one thing you might do with your, your kids is to kind of raise up the training wheels a little bit so they get a little more wobbly as they're kind of like learning to find the balance. I think the, the direction and rule that our colleague speaks of here is a bit like those training wheels. When we, when we get used to the direction and rule of God, it's like the training wheels have been raised up. And, and the good news is we don't we're not stuck having these training wheels all along. At one point, we can find the balance. Instead of constantly fighting against God, we live in harmony with God and with one another. The bad news is that we, like Paul, were lost, lost in our own ignorance and unbelief, lost in rebelling against God himself. But the good news is that God does not leave us lost. God didn't abandon his people at Sinai. The shepherd didn't leave the one to fend for itself. God in Christ came to save us and to direct and rule our hearts in line with his own. And in light of this, when Paul realizes this, in light of Paul's understanding, um, he's got a, 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 in this understanding of his own shift from bad news to good news, in the last verse of our reading, Paul abruptly switches, we might say, from theology and testimony to praise and worship. Verse 17 says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And I think that's spot on. When we, when we come to a deeper understanding of who God is, that's our theology, and come to a deeper understanding of what God has done for us, that's our testimony, the natural response is to praise and to worship. God alone is worthy of worship. I think that's by definition. God alone is the one who has done something great for us, and therefore he's worthy of our praise. And when Paul realizes this truth about God, the truth that he has, in fact, worked, worked against, uh, he has worked against God, but God has worked for him, 
he realizes that God is even more worthy of worship than he had thought previously. He had been lost, and now he had been found. And in his gratitude, he praises God, the king of the ages. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to find the lost. This is the gospel. This is good news. Amen.